Chapter Seven of the Chestermark Instinct. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Marianne. The Chestermark Instinct by J. S. Fletcher. Chapter Seven: The Travelling Tinker. Neil's eye caught the gleam of silver braid on the clothing of one of the two men, and he hastened his steps a little as he and Betty emerged on the level ground at the top of the steep path. "That's a policeman," he said. "It'll be the constable from Ellerstein. The other man looks like a gamekeeper." Let's see if they've heard anything. The two figures turned at the sound of footsteps, and came slowly in Neil's direction. Both recognized him and touched their hats. "'I suppose you're looking round in search of anything about Mr. Horbury,' suggested Neil. "'Heard any news, or found any trace?' "'Well, we're what you might call taking preliminary observation, Mr. Neil,' answered the policeman. "'His lordship's sent men out all over the neighbourhood.' "'No, we've heard nothing, nor seen anything, either. "'But, then, there's not much chance of hearing anything hereabouts. "'The others have gone round asking at houses and such like, "'to find out if he was seen to pass anywhere. "'Of course his lordship was figuring on the chance "'that Mr. Horbury might have had a fit or something of that sort, "'and fallen somewhere along this path, "'between the town and Ellersdeen House. "'It's not much followed, this path. "'But we've seen nothing, up to now.' "'Neil turned to the gamekeeper.' "'Were none of your people about here on Saturday night?' he asked. "'You've a good many watchers on the estate, haven't you?' "'Yes, sir, a dozen or more,' answered the keeper. "'But we don't come this way. This isn't our land. Our beat lies the other way, t'other side of the village. We never come on to this part at all.' "'This, you know, Mr. Neal,' remarked the policeman, jerking his thumb over the hollow. "'This, in a manner of speaking, belongs to nobody. Some say it belongs to the Crown. I don't know.' All I know is that nobody has any rights over it. It's been what you might term common land, ever since anybody can remember. This here Mr. Horbury that's missing, your governor, sir. I once met him out here, and had a bit of a talk with him, and he told me that it isn't even known who worked them old lead mines down there, nor who has any rights over all this waste. That, of course, concluded the policeman, pointing to the glowing fire which Neil and Betty had seen from the edge of the wood. That's why chaps like yonder man come and camp here just as they like. There's nobody to stop em. Who is the man? asked Neil, glancing at the fire, whose flames made a red spot amongst the bushes. Most likely a travelling tinker chap, sir, that comes this way now and again, answered the policeman. Name of Creasy. Tinner Creasy, the folks call him. He's come here for many a year, at odd times. Camps out with his pony and cart, and goes round the villages and farmsteads seeing if there's aught to mend, and selling em pots and pans and such like. Stops a week or two, sometimes longer. And poaches all he can lay hands on, added the gamekeeper. Only he takes good care never to go off this hollow to do it. Have you made any inquiry of him? asked Neil. We were just thinking o' doing that, sir, replied the policeman. He roams up and down about here at nights, when he is here. But I don't know how long he's been camping this time. It's very seldom I ever come round this way myself. "'There's naught to come for.' "'Let's go across there and speak to him,' said Neil. He and Betty followed the two men down the side of the promontory and across the ups and downs of the hollow, until they came to a deeper depression, fringed about by a natural palisading of hawthorn. And as they drew near, and could see into the dingle-like recess which the tinker had selected for his camping-ground, they became aware of a savoury and appetizing odour, and the gamekeeper laughed. "'Cooking his supper is tinner-creasy,' he remarked. "'And good stuff he has in his pot, too.' 
the tinker, now in full view, sat on a log near a tripod, beneath which crackled a bright fire, burning under a black pot. The leaping flames revealed a shrewd, weather-beaten face, which turned sharply towards the bushes as the visitors appeared. They also lighted upon the tinker's cart in the background, the browsing pony close by, the implements of the tinner's trade strewn around on the grass. It was an alluring picture of vagabond life, and Neil suddenly compared it with the dull existence of folk who, like himself, were chained to a desk. He would have liked to sit down by Tinner Creasy and ask him about his doings, but the policeman had less poetical ideas. "'Hello, Tinner,' he said with easy familiarity. "'Here again, what? I thought we should be seeing your fire some night this spring. Been here long?' The tinker, who had remained seated on his log until he saw that a lady was of the party, rose and touched the edge of his fur cap to Betty in a way which indicated that his politeness was entirely for her. "'Since yesterday,' he answered laconically. "'Only since yesterday,' exclaimed the policeman. "'Ah, that's a pity now. You wasn't here Saturday night, then?' The tinker turned a quizzical eye on the four inquiring faces. "'How would I be here Saturday night, when I only came yesterday?' he retorted. "'You're the sort of chap that wants two answers to one question. What about Saturday night?' The policeman took off his helmet and rubbed the top of his head as if to encourage his faculties. "'Nay,' he said, "'there's a gentleman missing from Scarnham yonder, and it's thought he came out this way after dark, Saturday night, and something happened. But, of course, if he wasn't in these parts, then—' "'I wasn't, nor within ten miles of him,' said Creasy. "'Who is the gentleman?' "'Mr. Horbury, the bank manager,' answered the policeman." "'I know Mr. Horbury,' remarked Creasy, with a glance at Neil and Betty. "'I've talked to him a hundred and one times on this waste. "'So it's him, is it? "'Well, there's one thing you can be certain about.' "'What?' asked Betty eagerly. "'Mr. Horbury wouldn't happen aught by accident hereabouts,' answered the tinker significantly. "'He knew every inch of this hollow. "'Some folks now might take a header into one of them old lead mines. "'He wouldn't.' He could have gone blindfold over this spot. "'Well, he's disappeared,' observed the policeman. "'There is a search being made, all around. You heard not last night, I suppose?' Creasy gave Neil and Betty a look. "'Heard plenty of owls, and night-jars, and such like,' he answered. "'And foxes, and weasels, and stoats, and beetles creeping in the grass. Not human.' The policeman resumed his helmet and sniffed audibly. He and the keeper moved away and talked together. Then the policeman turned to Neil. "'Well, we'll be going back to the village, sir,' he said. "'If so be as you see our super, Mr. Neil, you might mention that we're out and about.' He and his companion went off by a different path. At the top of the rise in the ground the policeman turned again. "'Tinner?' he called. "'Hello?' answered Creasy. "'If you should hear or find aught,' said the policeman, "'come to me, you know.' "'All right,' assented Creasy. He picked up some wood and replenished his fire, and glancing at Neil and Betty, who still lingered, he let fall a muttered whisper under his breath. "'Bide a bit, till those chaps have gone,' he said. "'I've a word or two.' He walked away to his cart after this mysterious communication, dived under its tilt, evidently felt for and found something, and came back, glancing over his shoulder to see that the keeper and policeman had gone their ways. "'I never tell chaps of that sort anything, mister,' he said, giving Neil a sly wink. 
Them of my turn of life look on all gamekeepers and policemen as their natural enemies. They'd both of em turn me out of this if they could, only they know they can't. For some reason or other Ellersdeen Hollow is no man's land, and therefore mine. And so, I wasn't going to say anything to them, not me. Then there is something you can say, said Neil. You were here on Saturday, exclaimed Betty. You know something. No, miss, I wasn't here Saturday, answered the tinker, and I don't know anything, about what yon man asked, anyway. I told him the truth about all that. But you say Mr. Horbury's missing, and that he's considered to have come this way on Saturday night. So, do either of you know that? He drew his right hand from behind him, and in the glare of the firelight showed them, lying across its palm, a briar tobacco pipe, silver-mounted. "'I found that last night, gathering dry sticks,' he said. "'It's letters engraved on the silver band, J.H. from B.F. J.H. now, does that mean John Horbury? You see, I know his Christian name.' Betty uttered a sharp exclamation and took the pipe in her hand. She turned to Neil with a look of sudden fear. "'It's the pipe I gave my uncle last Christmas,' she said. "'Of course I know it. Where did you find it?' she went on, turning to Creasy. "'Do tell us. Do show us.' "'Foot of the crag there, miss, right beneath the old tower,' answered Creasy. "'And it's just as I found it. I'll give it to you, sir, to take to Superintendent Polk and Scarnham. He knows me. But just let me point something out. I ain't a detective.' but in my eight-and-forty years I've had to keep my wits sharpened and my eyes open. Point out to Polk, and notice yourself, that whenever that pipe was dropped it was being smoked. The tobacco's caked at the surface, just as it would be if the pipe had been laid down at the very time the tobacco was burning well. If you're a smoker you'll know what I mean. That's one thing. The other is, just observe that the silver band is quite bright and fresh, and that there are no stains on the briarwood. What's that indicate, young lady and young gentleman? Why, that that pipe hadn't been laying so very long when I found it. Not above a day, I'll warrant. That's very clever of you, very observant, exclaimed Betty. But won't you show us the exact place where you picked it up? Creasy cast a glance at his cooking-pot, stepped to it and slightly tilted the lid. Then he signed for them to go back towards the tower by the path by which they had come. "'Don't want my supper to boil over, or to burn,' he remarked. "'It's the only decent meal I get in the day, you see, miss. "'But it won't take a minute to show you where I found the pipe. "'Now, what's the idea, sir?' he went on, turning to Neil, "'about Mr. Horbury's disappearance. "'Is it known that he came out here Saturday night?' "'Not definitely,' replied Neil. "'But it's believed he did. "'He was seen to set off in this direction, "'and there's a probability that he crossed over here on his way to Ellersdeen. "'but he's never been seen since he left Scarnham.' "'Well,' observed Creasy, "'as I said just now, "'he wouldn't happen anything by accident in an ordinary way. "'Was there any reason why anybody should set on him?' "'There may have been,' replied Neil. "'He wouldn't be likely to have aught valuable on him, "'surely, that time of night,' said the tinker. "'He may have had,' admitted Neil. "'I can't tell you more.' "'Creasy asked no farther question.' He led the way to the foot of the promontory, at a point where a mass of rock rose sheer out of the hollow to the plateau crowned by the ruinous tower. "'Here is where I picked up the pipe,' he said, lying amongst this rubbish, stones and dry wood. You see? I just caught the gleam of the silver band. Now what should Mr. Horbury be doing here? The path, you see, is a good thirty yards off, but he may have fallen over, or been thrown over, 
and it's a sixty-foot drop from top to bottom. Neil and Betty looked up at the face of the rocks and said nothing, and Creasy presently went on, speaking in a low voice. If he met with foul play, if, for instance, he was thrown over here in a struggle, or if, taking a look from the top there, he got too near the edge and something gave way, he said, there's about as good means of getting rid of a dead man in this Ellersdeen hollow as in any place in England. That's a fact. You mean the lead mines, murmured Neil. Right, sir. Do you know how many of these old workings there is? asked Creasy. There's between fifty and sixty within a square mile of this tower. Some's fenced in. Most isn't. Some of their mouths are grown over with bramble and bracken, and all of them are of tremendous depth. A man could be thrown down one of those mines, sir, and it'd be a long job finding his body. But all that's very frightening to the lady, and we'll hope nothing of it happen. Still. It has to be faced, said Betty. Listen, I'm Mr. Horbury's niece, and I'm offering a reward for news of him. Will you keep your eyes and ears open while you're in this neighborhood? The tinker promised that he would do his best, and presently he went back to his fire, while Neil and Betty turned away towards the town. Neither spoke until they were halfway through the wood. Then Betty uttered her fears in a question. "'Do you think the finding of that pipe shows he was there?' she asked. "'I'm sure of it,' replied Neil. "'I wish I wasn't, but I saw him with this pipe on his lips at two o'clock on Saturday. I recognized it at once.' "'Let's hurry on and see the police,' said Betty. "'We know something now, at any rate.' Polk they were told at the police station, was in his private house close by. A police constable conducted them thither, and presently they were shown into the superintendent's dining-room, where Polk, hospitably intent, was mixing a drink for a stranger. The stranger, evidently just in from a journey, rose and bowed, and Polk waved his hand at him with a smile, as he looked at the two young people. "'Here's your man, miss,' said Polk cheerily. "'Allow me.' Detective Sergeant Starmidge of the Criminal Investigation Department. End of chapter 7